Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 67. Hey, this is Dan Franks, the co-founder of Podcast Movement. And if you want to learn how to maximize your next event, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my very good friend, Travis Chapel. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chapel. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have not yet joined our Facebook group, Build Your Network Beta, then you are missing out on some tips and some tricks and everything in between on how to network better, how to build those relationships better. If you haven't joined yet, please head over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB to join and be a part of the group, and I will see you there. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Dan Franks. Dan is the co-founder and co-organizer of Podcast Movement, the world's largest conference and trade show for the podcast industry. He's a CPA, was formerly the business manager and director of live events for Midroll Media, and spent his 20s traveling the world as a professional wrestler. When not running live events or jet setting in spandex, Dan spends his time with his family in beautiful Dallas, 
Texas. Dan, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. Really excited to have you. Why don't you take a quick second, go ahead and expound on that intro and tell us more about yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many different directions that I can go with that. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm I'm super excited to get on here and talk a little bit of networking and maybe a little bit of podcasting as well. But yeah, I mean, where I am right now running live events for a living, what I can say is it's the the least likely thing I would have expected myself to be doing 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even five years ago, really. You know, my background is as a CPA and I was doing taxes for nearly 10 years of my life. And now I feel like I'm kind of living the dream, being able to connect with a lot of cool people, do things like this, and ultimately put on live events for lots of people to enjoy. So I'm just really excited to have some time to chat with you. Yeah. So just reading off that bio, there's so many different directions that you've gone, which gives us some material to talk about in a second. But I really want to touch on this traveling the world to professional wrestler thing. Tell me about that. How long was that? What inspired that? And then what made you get out of it? Yeah, well, like a lot of kids, I would say in, you know, elementary school age, I was super into pro wrestling and Hulk Hogan and The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and all of the famous names of pro wrestling growing up. I'm just one of the few that never grew out of it, I guess you could say. Hmm. So I was a lifelong fan of pro wrestling, still am. And when I was little, that's the one thing I can remember wanting to be when I grew up was a pro wrestler. So when I got to college and my parents couldn't physically stop me from trying to do that anymore, (laughs) I decided to give it a go. And yeah, for about 10 years, I was traveling the country literally every weekend and sometimes during the week as well, pro wrestling, mainly on, you know, this small independent scene that no one really knows exists. But yeah, it was uh, equally as as painful and a whole lot less glamorous than what you see on TV. (laughs) Well, I think there's a huge lesson in that, though, is that you didn't really care. You just kind of went out and did what you wanted to do, which I think is fantastic to be able to say that, that most people, you know, when you ask them what they wanted to be as a kid, it's never what they end up doing as an adult. And so I think it's really, really cool that you took that dream, made it a reality. So then you spent 10 years right out of college doing professional wrestling, and then you spent 10 years as a CPA or what what was that timeline? Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in parallel here. So when I got to college, that's when I started training to be a wrestler and started wrestling on the weekends. And really that was kind of my, where I got my income from on the weekends was during college was wrestling. Okay. And then when I graduated, I kept doing it, but also went into being a public accountant, got my CPA, started doing taxes and did them in parallel for five or six years there. Kind of the breaking point came in when I started showing up to client meetings with black eyes or with limps or with some leftover spray tan on, you know, all the good things that go with being a a professional wrestler and having to explain to these, I was working with a lot of doctors and attorneys and high net worth individuals uh, doing tax planning for them and stuff, having to explain to them, you know, why their accountant who's supposed to be guarding their money and helping them take care of their money. looks like he's been (laughs) beat up every time they come to the office. So uh, eventually something had to give and it was the wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it only makes sense at that point to uh, pick the thing that you don't get beat up to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. So you're in your early 30s then when this happened and now you're just full-time CPA? Yeah. So that was uh, late 20s. So I'm in my early 30s now. Okay. Gotcha. But yeah, that was that breaking point And I uh, decided it was finally time to grow up a little bit. So from CPA to event organizer, and like you said, you had no inkling that this was ever going to be something that you were doing. So uh, talk to us about that transition, that pivot. 
Sure. So probably like anyone who's listening to this podcast, I was listening to a lot of podcasts while I was at work doing a lot of busy work, taxes and bookkeeping and financial statements and all the fun stuff that goes along with being a CPA. Uh, was listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of business podcasts, you know, all kinds of podcasts and found out that one of my coworkers randomly listened to a lot of the same podcasts as me. And we started talking about, you know, what podcasts we like, what we didn't, if we were podcasters, what would we do and all of those conversations. And somehow it led to the two of us doing a podcast about business and entrepreneurship and kind of the generic subject that there's a lot of podcasts out there about. But we started podcasting ourselves and started really getting into the whole uh, how to podcast, getting better at podcasting, marketing our podcasts. And that led us to going to some conferences that included podcasters or podcasting tracks. They were a lot of more generic conferences. So there would be blogging conferences that had a podcast track or you know radio conferences that had some podcasting sessions. Mm-hmm. And after a while of going to some of those and having some conversations with people at those events, it started coming out that you know there wasn't really any place for podcasters. There was mm-hmm. a lot of places where podcasters were, you know, secondary right. thoughts accepted. These, yeah, yeah, accepted. Or you know, here we'll throw them some bones and have some sessions for them. But it was pretty obvious that there was a lot of people going to these conferences for the podcast track, but not necessarily a lot of podcast sessions and offerings for those people. Mm-hmm. So one thing led to another with those conversations, and a few of us that were at those conferences ended up getting together and trying to start our own. So that was my entrance into this live event space. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Wow. So definitely an example 
of necessity being the mother of invention here. So you're coming into your first event. You have zero experience. What do you do? Well, kind of the genius thing we stumbled into on accident was crowdfunding that first year's event. Hmm. So we learned pretty quickly that running events were very expensive and hard to make money at, especially in the first few years. So in sitting down and trying to figure out what we needed to do to make this thing happen, none of us wanting to put forth a whole lot of investment on the front end. It was when Kickstarter was first really kind of picking up steam and becoming a a household term or household thing. So we made the decision to, to crowdfund that first year via Kickstarter. And we put it up a campaign. We gave it a name. We called it Podcast Movement. And we called it the first dedicated national podcasting conference. And, you know, shared it with all our friends and basically said, here's the idea we have. We think it'll be awesome to have this conference. If you agree, here's how to support us. And kind of what we did, which hadn't been done a lot at that point, and I don't know if it has been or not since then, but we used Kickstarter to pre-sell tickets to the event. So when you have a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter – you can name different rewards based on the contribution level. So if yeah, you contribute yeah. $10, you can get a sticker, 20, you get a t-shirt and we had it, you know, $70 or whatever that number was, you get a ticket to the conference and this would be the cheapest way to get in. Once the crowdfunding campaign was successful, ticket prices would be more expensive. But if you support us on the front end, not only will you be helping make this conference possible, but you'll be getting your ticket as well. So that was really our model and our first kind of big step into putting this event together. Wow. So you're looking for speakers at the first event. Who did you talk to? Was a lot of people like hesitant to say yes, or was it pretty easy to get people lined up to, to speak? You know, a lot of people were super excited about the idea of this conference. So because of that, we had quite a few people interested in speaking, interested in playing a role in this conference, interested in being, you know, kind of a founding attendee or a founding speaker at this event. Yeah. Just because a lot of people saw that need in this space like we did. So it was a combination of reaching out to a lot of friends and people that we had made those connections with at those years of going to those other conferences. That's really where we kind of built that foundation. So if you were to look at our first year speaker list, you would see a lot of people that were just our friends at the time, our friends who were podcasters at the time. Hmm. But to be fair, there were a lot of people who we asked, a lot of people who we would have considered bigger names at the time who we asked to speak. And they were those ones that were a little more hesitant, you know, the people that have so many inbound requests for their time that they have to be pretty, you know, pretty. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So that did happen a lot. And it's funny because pretty much everyone who we asked that first year who turned us down or said, you know, it's just not something they could participate in has since we've had them speak or had them participate. So there's been a lot of kind of redemption stories there, Yeah. but kind of the one that I'll call out, and this is somebody that you and I talked with before the recorder turned on or talked about was John Lee Dumas, who, you know, I know you're friends with and I'm friends with, and he was one of those people that that first year at the event, we reached out to and we asked him to be one of our keynote speakers for that conference. And, you know, much like a lot of the other people that we had asked to be keynote speakers, he was a little hesitant. He let us know he just didn't have the time to dedicate to make it a valuable contribution to the event as a keynote speaker and, you know, kind of wished us good luck and sent us on our way. And we were pretty bummed out at the time because John was somebody who myself and the other organizers kind of looked up to and really thought was important to have a part of it. Mm -hmm. So after taking a couple of days to think it over, 
we decided we weren't going to give up and we weren't going to take no for an answer. Yeah. Uh, so we went back to John and said, you know, okay, will you just come to the event? Like, will you just be there? What can we do to get you out there? Like, we won't ask anything from you other than just to be there because we think it's super important to have you play some role, even if it's just an attendee. And, you know, after some back and forth there, we finally got to the point where John had agreed to moderate a panel at the event and come out and came with them, Kate Erickson, his business partner. And it turned into a relationship that now John's taken part every year. He's keynoted before. He's done some workshops there. So that was the one kind of relationship that I feel like we stuck to it and wouldn't take no for an answer. And it since, you know, every year had him as a part of it and really paid dividends in the long run for that event. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, Dana, the more I talk to people who have a lot of influence, a lot of followers and that kind of a thing, you know, as you said, they get bombarded with requests on a daily basis, really. And it's so funny that some of the people that I talk to will just say no the first time to everybody. So like they even have like a VA just go through and just say no to everybody. But then the people who come back and ask again, that's when they take the request seriously because it weeds out 80% of people who aren't willing to go for that second attempt. And I think that says so much about you guys coming into it that you were like, you know what, this is something we really want to make happen. So you didn't email back and say, you have to be here. It was kind of like, what can we do to make this thing happen? Like, how is this going to be beneficial for for you and us, because we would really, really love if you were a part of it type thing. And that's a step that most people just do not take, even though that's probably where the majority of the business happens. So got a quick question for you along this same line here, Dan, this is how I usually start the conversation into more about relationship building and everything. Do you believe that what you know, or who you know, is more important and why? Yeah, I mean, I think it really has to be who you know. I know that's kind of the probably the right answer for a question like this. But I mean, a lot of what you know comes from who you know. So I guess it could be a little bit of a chicken or the egg mm. kind of scenario. Yeah. But at least in what we've done and what I've done personally with podcast movement, all of my other events, I mean, all my other business ventures really that I've been a part of have all started with a person or with somebody I know that gets you the foot in the door. Mm. And Anything I've always kind of been in the fake it till you make it type camp hmm. and thought process with a lot of what I've done is the easiest way to learn something is just to dive into the deep end. Yeah. So I think what you know ultimately is always going to be important. But if you know one or the other has to come first, it's almost absolutely for me who you know. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about a time then where the connection in your life led to a specific moment of success. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I think that that story I shared about John was a really big turning point. And I think there's some projects we're working on now, not John and I, but my partner Jared and I that have basically I can't share what the project is. It's event based project, though. But it came from a suggestion of somebody very high up in the podcast space who he actually noticed a need in the space and a need that he thought we were a great fit for. So we've gotten to the point now where people are bringing us ideas and not asking us to you know, invest in their projects or not asking us to helping them do it. But they see us as positioned now, thanks to podcast movement, where they can bring us 
problems and say, we think this is a problem that you guys are perfect people to fix, or here's an event that we think is podcast related that you guys are the perfect people to put on. We'd love for you to do this and we'd love to support you doing it and all of that. So, so I think that type of thing has started to come to us more and more where, you know, these people we know are starting to bring us ideas and bring us things that it's based 100% on those relationships we've built with them, those trusts we've built with them. Yeah. And it's something like I can't really talk about. I want yeah. to, but it's yeah, that no sort of thing that came from purely a relationship. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll all see it unfold here in the coming months. So no worries at all. So with this being such an important aspect of career, business, podcasting, whatever you're trying to accomplish, with building relationships being so key to that, why do you think that people just don't do it? Uh, it's hard. I mean, most people, I think, are introverted in nature. And I think even more so this space that we run in or that I run in, which is a lot of online interactions and with Facebook groups and with forums and with email communication being the predominant communication means nowadays. I really think that people are so used to that barrier in all of our communications and all of our relationships now that they're a little scared or a little hesitant or maybe they don't even know how to kind of cross over into that more personal relationship, which is really what it takes to build these relationships where that trust is built and some of those you know super important conversations and relationships happen. And I think that's just the biggest thing is kind of that digital divide that's there really keeps those deeper relationships from happening. You know, that it could even be built over phone calls or over conversations like this with people. You know, we're not in the same room, but I feel like this conversation we're having is much more personal than if we just had these exact same questions and back and forth over email. Right. And I think that ultimately that same kind of, you know, idea of getting together in person and building these deeper relationships is what I love most about doing the live events that we do is because it really does bring people together. Usually people that only have interactions or only know of each other, whether it's from their Facebook or from their podcast that they listen to. And we give them that one chance a year to come together and be together and meet each other and have real life conversations. And I think that that satisfaction that they get and that value that they get is so important that, you know, not only is that why there's a lack of it nowadays and why people don't necessarily do it, but why I love providing those venues with the live events. Yeah. So going back to the beginning of this, I really want to make sure I ask you this question because you probably experienced this on an exponential level uh, compared to what a lot of people go through as far as getting rejected by people who you really respect, people who you really wanted to be a part of it that first year that just didn't have the time or you know said no for one reason or another, prioritized other things over what you guys had going on. How do you deal with the fear of rejection? What are some ways that you cope with that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. It's weird to say you have to be fearless to deal with that fear of rejection. But like, really, I always look at it. What's the worst that can happen? Like, mm -hmm. and it still happens. We still have these great ideas for speakers we want or people we want to partner with, whether it's, you know, for exhibitors or sponsorships or any of these conversations that go into creating this event, we still have people turn us down that we just, we scratch our head and we're like, this is a no brainer. For instance, like if we're reaching out to a really big sponsor, I'm talking in a perfect example, I'm talking into an ATR 2100 microphone, mm -hmm. an Audio-Technica microphone. I think more podcasters use this than any other microphone. Yeah, so I'm, many I'm new podcasters right come. Too. Yeah, see, <laughs> 
and so many new podcasters come to podcast movement. They want to know what podcast microphones to use. So to me, 100% no brainer. Audio Technica should be at podcast movement. They could sell, you know, 10 X the dollar amount in microphones that it would cost them to be there. But for whatever reason, they're not there. And every year I call them and every year I know I'm going to get a no, but I've just, I keep telling myself, what's the worst that can happen? They can block my number so it doesn't come through anymore, or they can tell me stop calling us and you know we'll never be there. They haven't done that yet, but every time I just ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Right. Same thing when we're approaching speakers. Same thing when we kept going back to John Dumas about the first year podcast movement. The worst that can happen is him to say, no, don't ever email me again. No, I'm never going to do it. And at that point, at least I know where things stand. I know where we're at. It's an old email marketing kind of mantra is, you know, we're going to keep emailing these people with our news or updates or whatever it is on these email marketing lists. And there's going to be two end results. One, they're going to finally unsubscribe because they're sick of hearing from us or they're going to buy this product or service that we're pitching them. Hmm. Same kind of concept, like there's two end results and we're going to get to one of those two end results one way or the other. Right. And I think the big point to draw out of what you just said is that the worst case scenario is typically what's already going to happen if you don't reach out at all. You know, so like worst case scenario, like they say no. Okay, well, if I don't ask, they've already said no, in essence. Like exactly. It's, it's not going to happen either way. But if but one way, there's a chance that it could happen. So there's actually way more upside over here than there is by not asking at all. It's just always so puzzling to me that I think people just don't ever weigh that. They don't look at the risk versus reward. They just kind of like fear the rejection and then just don't take it anywhere further from there. They don't sit and really think about, okay, what is the worst case scenario? What is the worst that could happen? And actually go through it logically. Because I think if they did, it would be a much different conversation. Dan, if you had to choose one tip, just one thing to narrow this all down to about networking, what would that one tip be? I mean, the tip I give, and this is a little bit to do, it's like a one, two step process that I always recommend people use. And it's a little bit, you know, my experiences in live events and networking events and things like that. So it leads into that. But a lot of people approach events, whether it's meetups, whether it's conferences, whether it's some other a situation where you'll end up with amongst a lot of people in person is to make connections online first. So a lot of people come to me and say it's going to be super intimidating coming to your conference. There's going to be 2,000 people there. I don't know how to meet people. I don't know who I should meet. They're all going to know each other. Nobody knows me. Super intimidated just with this whole prospect of what they're about to encounter. And the truth is you can shrink that 2,000 down quite a bit. You can find you know, Facebook groups related to those events or you can find Twitter conversations related to those events or all sorts of ways to you know, narrow down some of this kind of giant scary thing you're about to encounter and meet people online first. That's what we're all used to. That circles back to what I said. The biggest issue was with meeting people is that we have online, impersonal relationships. But the positive to that is oftentimes you know people already a little bit. So you have, you know, right. one foot forward. You've already got a foot in the door. So it's very easy then when you actually see these people in real life, even if it is somebody, you know, that's a real big famous celebrity. If you've tweeted with them before, if they've replied to your tweet, if you've sent them an email 
something fun or commented on their blog post or whatever it is, you've got that foot in the door now where you can go up and say, and we'll just keep using John Dumas as an example because we started that way. And you can say, hey, John, you remember that time we traded emails or I commented on your blog post about your income report and you gave me some advice about finding a CPA or whatever it is. And that immediately is an icebreaker, a conversation starter. And you know, to me, that's the biggest thing. That first kind of hello, my name is, or hi, here's who I am, is the hardest part of these in-person relationships is breaking that ice. So giving yourself kind of some ammunition to start with, I think is super important and with the biggest takeaway I have. Yeah, always plan beforehand. Such great advice there. I'm curious to know your answer to this, Dan. What do you think about business cards anymore? Like, do you think that's a good way to connect or do you think they're just kind of a waste of print? Yeah, that's an interesting question because running a conference like that's one of the things that a lot of people do before they go to events is, you know, bring a pocket full of business cards. Yeah. I always tell people to bring them or to have them, but don't be the one to like give it unless you're asked for it. So <laughs> everyone's different. We were talking about before we started recording the conference that I run has so many different types of people from all different age ranges and industries and experience levels that some people, that's the only way they know how to do it is to leave with a pocket full of business cards mm. and to follow up with all those people. Yeah. Other people say, hey, do you have a business card that I can snap a picture of on my phone? And they have a folder on their phone of pictures of everyone's business cards, yeah. but they don't want any of them physically. And then other people just want to say, hey, I'll, you know, let me follow you on Facebook or let me follow you on Twitter. And that's how I'll know who to follow up with. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly all kinds of things that people do. But I specifically, me personally, if I were at a conference and I were meeting somebody that I really wanted to stay in touch with and they asked me for a business card, I would want to have one to give them. I wouldn't want to say, oh, I don't have anything. You know, can I scribble it down on a piece of paper? Like, yeah, that's the position I'm in is I don't necessarily want to be the one making it rain with business cards, <laughs> but I certainly want to have a few in my pocket if somebody important wants one. Yeah, yeah. I've been going back. That's why I wanted to ask you with being the organizer of a big event like that, because I've been going back and forth on if they're good or not. You know, I have some, like you said, so I bring some with me. And if somebody asks, it's like, oh, yeah, here's a card. I just kind of I think for me, it's more about the level of legitimacy than like the hope of them contacting me. I think it's just more like, yeah, I have cards and they look nice and they feel nice. And it just like raises yeah, my level of legitimacy. And so I think if I really want to connect with somebody, though, I usually go add them on Facebook immediately and I'll send them a Facebook message with like a quick little thing from our conversation so that they can remember who it is. Because it seems like to me when I have something in my inbox or on my Facebook page or somebody comments on a post, like I'll go look at their stuff more than I will if I have, you know, 58 business cards in my pocket from an event and talking to a bunch of people. So, but yeah, I was just really curious to see what you felt about that. With all the people that you've been able to meet, Dan, who do you think is the best networker or most natural just relationship builder that you know? Yeah. So this is, you know, you're interviewing me for this podcast, but I'm not, I would say I'm not great at it. I've kind of backed into needing to be able to be a great mm -hmm. networker, but lucky for me, my business partner, Jared Easley, 
is who I would consider the master networker. So mm-hmm. his strength in that area complements my weakness in that area really well in ways that, it, you know, it, it's inverted for other things that I'm better at that he's not. Mm-hmm. But the fact that somebody related to and involved in the business is super strong at that, like him, uh, has really been a big asset. And I look at him, you know, in admiration a little bit because I wish I could do some of the things he does in terms of, you know, going into a room and leaving and having talked to everybody. And I'm like, wait, you were in there 30 minutes and there's like 50 people in there. How does everyone now know who you are? And everyone is your friend on Facebook. Like, how is that possible? But it is. And he's very similar to what you just described in terms of, you know, shooting people messages on Facebook, having friends. You know, he met people in, at some of those conferences we were going to in 2013 that he's never seen again. But he could tell me, like, what they're doing now, where they live now. They talked last week on Facebook Messenger. I mean, it's just amazing how he's able to do that. And it's a huge asset to our business. And quite honestly, like, even that first year conference, we funded it on Kickstarter. We tripled our goal. But a lot of those people that contributed were directly because he had relationships with them and he was personally able to reach out to a bunch of these people and let them know what we're doing. So I certainly can go on Facebook and go on Twitter and, and spread the word about some of these things, but ultimately him directly messaging people that he has those relationships with that he's built for years is what helped us get off the ground and continues to help us grow and bring new people into the fold and introduce new people to what we're doing. Yeah. Super cool that you guys have such a synergistic relationship like that uh, well dan well, let's go ahead and move on into something i like to call the random round it's just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers you ready ready this is the random round what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt oh man i'd like to go back to professional wrestling that's kind of cheating because i did it for a little bit but i i'll say that i did it as an amateur so if i was able to do it as a professional for a living, totally would be a professional wrestler on the road, 300 days a year, seeing the world. My wife wouldn't be happy with that. <laughs> she was much happier with me not doing it anymore than when I was doing it. But man, it was a blast for the time I did it. And I, I don't think I, if I had the opportunity to do it again at a high level, I, I probably would not turn it down. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? You know, probably a pretty generic answer, but I think it would be Mark Cuban. He's a local to here in Dallas now, and we see him, you know, a lot of people on the national level and the worldwide level see him all the time on TV for various things. But even more so here in Dallas, we're seeing everything he's doing, not just from a business perspective, but kind of a lot of the things that he loves and he has personal interest in, he's able to participate in. From a philanthropic standpoint, he's super active as well. So I think just the combination of him being local here and seeing a lot of the things he does, as well as, of course, his success and a lot of the things that he's been involved with, I think that's probably right now who my answer would be. How do you like to consume content, books, blogs, or podcasts? Man, audio all the way. That's the reason I'm in this space to begin with is because uh, I started off listening to things. I'm one of the kids that every morning would listen to Howard Stern and every night I'd fall asleep listening to Loveline or something like that. So I've always been a radio first kind of guy and it was a natural move into podcasting and any chance I have to listen to a book on Audible or something like that versus reading it, that's just what works best for me. So tell me a couple of your like go-to podcasts. Like When you go into your queue of episodes, what shows are you picking first? 
Yeah, so I'll start with, I hate to turn it into a pro wrestling episode, but this is one that maybe anyone listening that liked wrestling as a kid, that maybe it still could be a guilty pleasure, or they're just looking for some variety in their life. There's a podcast called Something to Wrestle, and it's a newer one within the past couple years, but it's hosted by a guy who maybe some old school wrestling fans would remember called, his name is Brother Love, was his name, and he's the host, and he was backstage at the WWF for... 20 or 30 years kind of helping to run the show. So he just has so many old school stories and kind of, you know, behind the scenes stories of what a lot of people remember seeing on TV that it's a really, really kind of great thing. And then another one that's kind of on the far other end of the spectrum, it's a newer one and it's called Raised by TV. And it's a little nostalgic as well. It's a podcast about two comedians And it's about 90s TV that a lot of people in in the millennial generation will know from their childhood television. So whether it's TGIF or Full House or Nickelodeon or some of these, and they'll just they'll just talk about their memories of those shows in a funny way. But you can just relate and kind of nod your head along to along with what they're saying. So that's the other one I'll say is raised by TV and it's from Earwolf who full disclosure, that's who I used to work for, but I had nothing to do with the production of any of the podcasts. I just happened to like a few of them. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Yeah. So every morning I wake up uh, 5 a.m., get ready and I go. Lately, I've been on a, a CrossFit kind of kick. So mm. always from back in the my wrestling days, been into going to the gym on a regular basis in the morning. And my current kick is giving CrossFit a try. So I've been doing that at 6 a.m. every morning for about a year. Come home from CrossFit, eat breakfast and get to work. So I don't have any fancy meditation. I need to start getting more into writing down my goals for the day and sticking to them uh, and not trying to do the multitasking thing. Yeah. But so far, so far, it's get up, go to the gym and start work. What is your go to pump up song? Pump up song. That's a good question. <laughs> I listen to podcasts. I don't listen to a whole lot of music, so I don't even have a good pump up song. I listen to podcasts on the way to the gym to get pumped up. So it, it could be Planet Money listening to the latest economic news, or it could be, you know, startup listening to a business story. But I guess my favorite pump up song would be a podcast. What are you not very good at? Well, I've already exposed that I'm not very good at networking. So that's it's fun again, funny that I'm on the show. I think it says it speaks volumes though that it you realized it was something that you weren't good at, but something that's really essential and then you started doing it because you knew how essential it was. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I guess what I'll say is cooking. I've been working on fixing that. Uh we've signed up for Blue Apron about a year ago, so we've been doing two two meals a week and blue apron. So I'm getting better at it. So I think that's, I recognize something that I wasn't at and I'm going to work at trying to fix that. All right. As we get everything wrapped up here, Dan, what is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most? Yeah, I think right now, find me on Twitter. I'm at DM Franks is probably the best place. That's where I've been pretty active, at least in chatting with people and things like that. I do have a personal website. It's danfranks.me. It's not updated as frequently as I would like, but between those two places, I'm super easy to get a hold of. Perfect. Well, go check out Dan on Twitter. Say what's up. Tell him thanks for coming on the show. Dan, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really had a great time talking with you. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Travis. This has been great. And I, uh, it's good to step outside of my comfort zone and talk about some of the things that uh, are a little more difficult for me to do. And networking is certainly one of those things. 
That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies, and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.